Hey Queeros, it's Cameron here and I just wanted to let you know that I will be touring the country this fall with my wife Rhea Butcher. You remember her from episode one of this show, Query. We will be in Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, San Diego, Phoenix, Dallas, Austin, Houston, New Orleans, Atlanta, Carborough, North Carolina, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., Brooklyn, Cleveland, Pontiac, Michigan, Minneapolis, Chicago, Madison, Portland, Maine, Boston, and Denver. For tickets or more info, just CameronEsposito.com. Thanks, you guys. This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart. And as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your life and with your community. Welcome to Query. Queeros, Cameron here. And today on the show, a talk with Jeffrey Boyer Chapman. Now, I first became aware of Jeffrey um, when I watched the television show Unreal, which I loved. And the first season especially was so amazing. And, you know, I know some folks that work on it and created it. And Jeffrey really stood out to me as just such a confident and charismatic actor. Talking to him was perfect, just a beautiful experience. And we've met a couple times at different benefits and shows supporting the LGBT community here in LA. So one thing I'll say about Jeffrey is that he's super plugged into our community. And that's what I would urge from you, our listeners. Hearing from you has been unbelievable. Um, Thank you for tweeting at me. Thank you for following us at QueryCast or liking the Facebook page. I want your engagement. It's not just about me and you, it's about creating a whole community of conversations. So if you like the show, please let people know. Anyway, enjoy today's episode. Giving you a heads Thank up, you. but yeah, we'll we'll Thank start you. right now Thank and talk you. to each other. Let's start right now. I'm going to start with one headphone on. One. It actually looks on. really cute. Thanks. And Jeffrey Boyer Chapman, uh, I feel like you. Well, first of all, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. I'm Jeffrey Boyer Chapman, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm very happy to be here. Thank you for having me, Cameron. I am so happy that you're here. You're so you sweet. also have a beautiful voice. It's very nice to hear it oh, in my ears. Thank I love you. hearing voices in my ears. As do um, I. Let's talk a little bit about who you are. Uh, who am I? I mean, I know I know that I first became aware of you because you're amazing on Unreal. Oh, thank you. Um, and that was a show that also, uh, when the first season debuted, I was like, "Thank God for this! Yes. Such a such an amazing and unexpected." piece of television yeah, and I concur. so fucking stoked about it yeah me too and um but i but you have a much bigger life than that that's just that's yeah. just my introduction to you that's just, that's yeah. not that's your just th- introduction that's three and a half you. months out of my life every year for the past four years which i've been very blessed to right. yeah to have as a part of my life for three and a half months every year for the past four years um so but where I, are you from where am I from? You know what? I love the question, who am I? I feel like yeah. I get like butterflies in my stomach every time I ask myself that question. It's such a great question. Oh, yeah. Who, who, who am I? Where am I from? So I'm adopted. I was born in Canada. I was born in a, in Edmonton, Alberta. Um, Alberta is, you know, uh, known as the Texas of the North in Canada. It's very much like oil and gas and farming and ranching. And, you know, uh, it's, 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 it was kind of like a sick social experiment, me like being raised there in many ways. Wow, but I was, really? yeah. Yeah, it's like very like predominantly Caucasian where I was raised. I was raised in a really tiny town uh, called Rimby, Alberta, which was less than 2,000 people. And, oh, wow. Um, yeah, and I was raised by that my... Is, that's small. It's very <laughs> small. There was no... I was just... I said this the other day to somebody. There was no um, stoplight in the town because there was no need for one because there was so few people. Why would there ever be two cars? Why would you... Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and the, horse, the horse and carriage knows yeah. when to You're take a left and take a right car. and stop. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I was raised there uh, with my mother and my sister until I was 
about 12 years old and then lived in uh, a, t- a city called Red Deer, Alberta, until I was in my teens. And then I kind of moved all over the world from there. I left when I was a teenager and went to Vancouver and spent a few years there and was modeling and went overseas to Europe and South Africa and kind of all over North America and then ended up back in Vancouver when I was 21 and uh, started working in television and film and did my first movie there when I was 21 and stayed there and built my resume for a few years and then head over to New York and lived there for seven years and then L.A. for the past since September. So I guess like almost a year I've been here in L.A. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. Well, well, continued welcome. Thank you. Continued welcome it to Los Angeles. It feels good to be here. You know, I, I, have don't... A, I have a very interesting relationship with Los Angeles. I feel I feel like it took me years to get to the point where I am now, where I love it and appreciate it and um, really see the value and beauty in it. I feel like it, it's one of those cities where many people have love-hate, love-hate relationships with it. And it takes time to um, learn to vibe with the energy, this you know, the specific energy the city has to offer. But once you get there, there's nothing like it yeah i mean you do have to want to move to the suburbs like that's like, For that's sure. like la is yeah uh, what, neighborhood. what a hip suburb totally this Absolutely. whole city is Absolutely. <laughs> with no uh seeming gathering place for any of the people uh, isn't that so strange yeah. all at their individual houses yeah i know because i just came from new york i just moved from brooklyn and yeah. um, so different so different. And I was actually just back in New York. Uh, I just got back a few days ago and just, uh, there, you know, as, as, as many beautiful things as each city has to offer, um, I think as much as I love New York and loved living there during my formative years in my 20s, um, it's a hard fucking town. And to stay, it, you know, it wasn't sustainable for me. It, uh, coming to Los Angeles, I really don't take for granted the nature and the beauty and the accessibility to retreats and getaways and the deserts and, you know, the kind of like the spa culture here and the green juices. And it's all so fucking lush. Right, like the the good side mm-hmm. of the silly stereotypes about this city is mm-hmm. that they all kind of boil down to self-care. Totally. Isn't and that so it's, interesting? And it's because we, you know, we're all in the same industry and the industry mm-hmm. requires weird long hours mm-hmm. for very focused amounts of time. And so like yeah. you work 14 hours a day or for, you know, this for seven days a week or whatever for yeah. like three months. And then you have to get yourself. You're actually like. In training, you know, you're in like spring training. Absolutely. You're like an athlete in training. Absolutely, I've adopted uh, the the um, very LA word reset. I tend yeah. To, I tend, yeah, after I'm done working, you gotta I, get I tend a reset. To reset. <laughs> I don't even know what the fuck that means, <laughs> but it sounds really cool. You know, I want to go back to you talking about being a teenager because, like, even you just saying this scared mm. the shit out of me. Mm. So you were modeling as a teenager. Yeah. I started when I was 15. So I was still in high school. I did my first test shoot uh, at an agency in Calgary. Um, and it actually didn't even really go anywhere. Can it I just... ask why? Like, why did you know how to do that? I didn't know how to do it. And, like, that, and that was the problem. From where did that come out of your brain, though? You were just like, somebody said that you were a beautiful person or you were like, I just want to present myself to the world. Or like, how did you get in there it, to be taking those photos to be it, it was. I mean, the seeds were definitely planted by my friends, older siblings and, you know, teachers at school. And um, they would say specifically, you know, you should be a model or you're going to grow up to be a model. And I had never saw myself when I looked like that way when I looked in the mirror. So it was never really something that I um, uh, thought that I had uh, nourished by any means. Um, and uh, the opportunity was presented to me when I was 15 years old. A friend of mine signed with an agency and uh, she got me in the door with with hers as well and kind of went from there and like I said I grew up in such a small town um, and uh, knew that there was such a there was so much more out there that the world had to offer, and um, it wasn't readily, readily available to me where I was, but I knew that um, by stepping into the world of the, fa- of the fashion industry, it would uh, allow me to travel the world and expand my consciousness and, you know, uh, grow. So overwhelming or exciting or both? At the time? Mm-hmm. Incredibly exciting. Not at all overwhelming. I was ready for it. Um, it took a few years, though. So I was 15 when I did my first test shoot, and then I didn't start working until I was about uh, working and making money until I was about 18 or 19 years old. Um, and I had my ups and downs with it. I feel like it took me a, a long time to figure out the type of model, not that I wanted to be, but that I was. Um, there's very specific markets in the fashion industry. And um, as much as I wanted to be doing like Gucci and Prada and all of these like fucking fierce 
editorials. I was much more of a commercial model, so I was doing more like um, advertorials and catalog and you know campaigns for like Levi's and American Apparel and things like that. Um, uh, you know, and I got to travel the world and I got to make some money and meet some really f- beautiful, phenomenal people who are still some of my closest friends. But um, you know, there were definitely some some tough times that c- that came along with it. You're exposed to you're exposed to a lot at a very young age and expected uh, to be very adult um, in very bizarre situations. And um, you're by yourself. You don't have you're a kid and you don't have your parents and you're working. It seems incredibly hard. It's a lot. It's a lot of pressure. Super challenging. Yeah, the issues of well, body consciousness and, and also oh that's because that's that's what I was just going to ask is yeah. um like what does that feel like so you're you're also like at a formative age yeah. and people are asking something very specific of you mm-hmm. and then like evaluating you on that and then mm-hmm. you get to see it and like mm-hmm. did would that look like you if you saw a picture of you did that look like you to you? No, and it still doesn't. Uh, to be completely honest with you, even when I, you know, it's, it's it may sound bizarre to some people, but even when I like uh, see my see a reflection of myself, sometimes when I look in the mirror, sometimes it like takes me aback. Like I don't, I don't necessarily feel on the inside like I look on the outside. And, I, and what's the disconnect? Like, how I would you know. describe how you feel versus how you um, look? That's such an interesting question. Um, I don't know. I don't really consider the way that I look, and that may be surprising to some people, but it's not something that I really focus on. So when I look in the mirror and I see this, like, you know, six foot four uh, biracial dude staring back at me, I just, I don't know. I feel like, I, 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 guess, I guess this is going to sound like really hippy dippy and esoteric, but I feel like, I guess, like, I'm more, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, identify and connect with, like, the my vibrational frequency and, like, the color of my soul. No, and you're in the right being, place. Like, just, like, okay, nothing cool. is, nothing is grosser. This, okay. is, per- this is great. <laughs> Plus it's the, L.A. So. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, it's L.A., but also, you know, the whole the whole point of having this conversation yeah. is to talk about identity. And yeah. what you're talking about is something that I think a lot of people in the LGBT community can relate to. Like, you're talking about it for, for a very specific reason, mm-hmm. but, like, I feel that way. I, I don't feel that, that. way. Um, no one's ever really told me that before. I don't know if I've ever really told that to anybody <laughs> before, though. Yeah, getting it's cool, it all right? Out of me. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, I don't feel... Um, like, it's great to hear you describe it. I don't know that, I mean, my job, much like your job, is about creating, like, this finite projection mm-hmm. that will be captured and that will exist somewhere. For forever. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> but, you know, what's an interesting thing about stand-up that, like, maybe some people don't realize is um, when you're doing stand-up, you have jokes that you've done a zillion fucking times Mm -hmm. and those are kind of running as like a background program. So like the words that are coming Mm. out of your mouth, you know, you have like this cadence down and Mm -hmm. you know what you're going to hit. And then there's the present moment, which is existing where you're realizing what's happening Mm -hmm. in the room. And those two things are happening at once. Mm -hmm. So it really is like you're sort of observing this version of yourself that, by yeah. the way, you like wrote and created. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> like it's not like a real like. Totally, and, it's a character. Yeah, it's a yeah. character, yeah. and and um, and it and it's also something that you know you agree with, but mm-hmm. it's about like controlling how other people view you. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, if I so what I'm saying is mm-hmm. I fucking get it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because, yeah, yeah. Because I have a lot of different ways of you know working on presentation and also mm-hmm. feeling. Like I see myself and not feeling like I see myself. I edit right. my own face in a television show. Oh wow! And when I do that, I take my wife. Yeah, and when really? I when I do that, oh, Jesus, uh, I call her Cameron oh. because like it's not helpful to say me, right? Because it's but just the character's very name is also Cameron. Yes, so that's, exactly. That's also helpful, and it's also me. Like it's <laughs> yeah. like I'm saying, but I mean, you have to. I have to say it. Like, I have to say you know to writers yeah. in our writers' room, and then to like our editors and stuff. Like I'm gonna yeah. call her Cameron, and I just want you to know, like I. I'm aware that that's going to sound weird, but it's because like we're going to develop this relationship right. with like we're just making this art piece, and that's like not me. Yeah, that's... interesting. I mean, it was always very cool, um, especially when I first started working as a model, like seeing different versions of myself and seeing different like representations of myself in print, seeing myself in ways that I had never seen or considered myself before was always kind of bizarre and fascinating. Um, not recognizing myself when I would see myself in photos at times was always kind of uh, very interesting, actually very fascinating to kind of step outside of yourself like that and to uh, to view yourself from an outsider's perspective. Um, when the bot the whole body consciousness thing. Um, 
you know, I am a very, I'm a large guy. I'm six foot four. And my feet are size 13. My arms are like 37 inches long. Like I'm, I'm, I'm big. And I uh, was always big even for a model. Um, so in the fashion world, it's very specific standards and sizes. Uh, you, you have to fit in fashion or you have to oh, fit wow. uh, sample sizes. Yes, of course. Right? You have to fit what the designer has <laughs> for you. Which is such a blessing working as an actor now because if something's too small or too big, the wardrobe person, the costume designer just goes and gets you something it's bigger their or smaller. Job. It's, so fucking, it's so fantastic. <laughs> but when you're working with sample sizes, there's only one of each, right? Um, so always being told that, that I was large for, you know, for a male model from designers and clients and my agents even, um, I, I internalized it in in a different way. And I tried to make myself uh, smaller physically. Like, I, you know, I, 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 it was really unhealthy for many years, really, just working out constantly and being so strict with my diet and just being as minuscule as I could, as I could possibly be to fit into these clothes. The reality of it was, it wasn't until uh, uh, a few years after doing that and working, but not really being happy, you know, doing the jobs that I was doing, um, that I started, uh, you know, really practicing self-care and um, eating food that was right for me, that nourished me and that gave me life and um, working out and doing yoga and meditating and writing in my journal and just really actively and daily practicing self-care that I came to um, a very healthy and realistic weight for myself and uh, that's when I started working the most and that's when I started making the most money and that's when I started being the most satisfied in the work that I was wow. doing yes yeah. cool yeah. I mean fucking cool yes and good good yeah. good that the universe good that the universe rewarded that absolutely uh, and deserved um you know God we are so set up to be challenged in this universe yeah. I have never heard anybody talk about like being height patrolled before yeah. you know like like as if we needed <laughs> yeah, like can I live more, having my more, height police on a daily basis more things to be patrolled for still though I mean yeah. still as an actor you know I mean especially working on Unreal where I have uh, working against two of the most insanely massive and talented gargantuan actresses I've ever worked with Shiri Appleby and Constance Zimmer yeah. who were five foot nothing right. you know so they're you know I'm, I'm constantly aware of it when they're having to set up the cameras to different heights for the two of us or when we're doing scenes together or putting them on apple boxes or me like you know just doing tricks it's, it's really my legs sitting down yeah. whatever the fuck it is that you know I'm, i mean it's something that i'm constantly aware of but not something that i am um self-conscious of it's something that i celebrate um the length of my arms the height of my body the size of my feet um you know the size of my overall weight just my it's something that i celebrate now it's something that i really cherish and love and don't take for granted for a second that's awesome yeah. and yes it is i feel like that's something maybe people don't know mm. if you're trying to get two actors in the same shot yeah. <laughs> and there's a huge height, height differential literally like you fall out of frame totally you yeah. can't actually so that's part of the reason that you know whenever people hear about like oh man i can't believe that actor's that small it's because totally. like in general they're trying to keep everybody like Very the same <laughs> height mm -hmm. so that um you can shoot things easily but yeah. Uh, you're right. There's totally tricks. You put somebody on an Apple box mm -hmm. or you um, have you sit down. Mm -hmm. but, I mean, so as aware of it as I am, it's not something that, that by any means bothers me or that I'm self-conscious. So of. I want to go back to talk about something earlier because I'm just so you said like mostly Caucasian town mm -hmm. that you grew up in. Mm -hmm. So then you enter the fashion industry. Mm -hmm. I am. This is a. I am making this assumption based on literally nothing, okay. but like vagueness. Go for it. Vague. <laughs> so excited to hear what you have to say. Well, so I'm imagining that that you're stepping into this world where maybe there's a slightly different demographic than almost all Caucasian people. Yeah. Like, was that your first experience of uh, you know being around other people of color? Um. Or did you get that growing up? No, I didn't get it growing up. So no, but I'm trying to think of uh, of of when my first experience was of being around people of color, and that's like a really, you know, it's something that I don't share with any of my friends, uh, specifically my friends who are or who are of color. Um, even a lot of my my um, Black American friends or um, you know Latin friends or Asian friends um, are American raised, and they have had some exposure to it in some way, shape, or form. Even if they were raised in white suburbs, they, you know, had their church culture or their schools were quite diverse or whatever. Um, when was the first time that I really experienced being around a diverse group of people ethnically? Um, I'm going to be totally honest with you and say it probably it wasn't in Canada. 
Um, I mean, I had, you know, doses of it when I would go to larger cities like Toronto or or uh, Vancouver. Um, but really seeing reflections of myself, um, seeing like, you know, like biracial men. Uh, it wasn't until I lived in South Africa when I was 25 years old. It, that's not true. When I, I would see it when I was in New York, when I was like 21 years old and I would travel to New York and I was like so taken by like the incredible diversity of people of color. Like I loved going up to Harlem and being in Brooklyn and seeing like Puerto Rican people and Dominican people and West Indian and Caribbean and Jamaican. There was just such beautiful diversity and flavor. Um, but uh, living, that was just there for I direct looking. Living in it was South Africa. Yeah, it's different, you know, obviously observing and... Um like recognizing it's so important too mm-hmm. for for every human being yeah. uh, to feel like, like to see representation like, of yes, themselves. Yes, to see representation mm-hmm. of themselves. But also um entering a community and like being rooted is those are such those are different experiences that feed you in yeah. different ways. So you, where did you live in South Africa? In Cape Town. I have been to Cape Town. My I, my ex uh was South African and Oh. Um interesting. Yeah, like during that, you know, pre um any options she had to go back home because her visa came uh, oh, ran out. Pre and any American options pre in regards to any civil American union options in in terms of keeping her here. And so she moved back home to Cape Town, hmm. and I went and like spent a bunch of weeks living with her family. Hmm. And I thought about it, like, do I now move to Cape Town? But it's that a just really cool city. It is a really cool yeah. city. I had just like <clears throat> just really gotten like figured out what i wanted to do mm. with my self career wise mm-hmm. and i was well, like if trevor noah could do it i just on, you yeah, could do yeah. It too. yeah that's i mean that's why i don't have the daily shows because i didn't right. move to no. um, you know, but it's, I, it's, as cool as that city is and as beautiful as it is um, like the topography the geography of it that you know there's mountains and the ocean and palm trees and the sun and beaches and it's stunning and safari like half an hour out of the city you are like quite literally at the bottom of the world so when you are when i've lived there i was there for a, quite some time i was there for almost a year i just felt so far removed from the from the the rest of the world and I was so, just so hyper aware of it especially when I would look at a map and like see Cape Town at like the very tip the southern tip of Africa right and just knowing that my whole life and my whole world and my whole um you know existence and experience existed yeah you can go stand on the end you can go stand on the very tip <laughs> yeah, that's right. where there. the oceans mm-hmm. meet mm-hmm. uh yeah. yeah so cool well and also I mean it's man what an interesting experience like that's your experience with being around other people of color yeah, because yeah. um and you know i think also, what made it so interesting was the history of apartheid in that city i know i mean that's being, what i'm yeah. that's what i'm trying to say is yeah. like I mean, I can so say 1989 it, girl. I can say. yeah 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 1989 that, is and when I, and i was there was in 2000 mm-hmm, and i was there in 2010 so to be there working as a model um uh out of the uh, totally uh, another layer to um like the complexity of internalized racism in you know and uh, residual racism in that country um uh you know i'm a, a biracial light-skinned black male which uh, just so happened to be coveted there specifically in the world of advertising and marketing in the fashion world and um uh you know i mean it exists very much so in america in some ways as well um you know like the light-skinned fetishism and um the you know hyper acceptance of it in mainstream media as opposed to our my darker skin counterparts um something else i will say growing up in canada uh and not having the same messages fed to me as my african-american friends um i've always just been so drawn to darkness i've always loved that you know the darker the skin the better for me i would lay out in the sun for days and hours when i was uh when i was growing up just because i loved the the you know all that extra melanin i loved the, the richness from <laughs> so my color would get from the sun. those messages what were you what messages were you getting about like just like about my color yeah in in Canada yeah. or in uh, none that were specifically negative, I would say during my like younger years, um, I was certainly othered because of the color of my skin at a certain age when kids start to identify and other other kids right. like around ten years old. Um, people started kind of like you know or not even kind of people would start pointing at me and saying. Uh, you know, just commenting on my on my blackness. It's really funny. They would, com- you know, they would comment on my blackness and gayness together. I just posted something on Instagram today. Uh, I was at the Brooklyn Museum last week, and I saw this beautiful uh, painting of a of a flower of a black pansy. And I was with my boyfriend Andrew, and I said, "Oh my God!" When I was in middle school and high school, the kids used to call.
call me Black Pansy. Fuck. As like as like a slur. Did you buy as like a, that painting? To I didn't. I took her. No, I didn't. I didn't. No, it's, it's, it was it was uh, out of my price range. I don't, I don't even know if that's true. I don't even know if it was for sale. No. But um, the point being, I took a picture of myself with the with the painting and, and posted it today and said, um, "Had I known." The beauty that a black pansy embodies. It's a, it's a oh, name shit. that I would have claimed for myself long ago, and it's a name that I take with pride, and it's something that I celebrate about myself. Um, so, uh, you know, I feel like the messages that I was fed during my uh, the negative messages I was fed during my early years were from um, you know younger sources, kids around my own age, um, and it wasn't necessarily specifically to do with the color of my skin, but more so with my with my sexuality. And what were they, what were they seeing? You know, I mean, they were you know, throwing the slurs, throwing the slurs that no, young that young not, birds, not young gay were, boys get. Not what not what were they saying? Um, although, yes, yeah. Andrew, but what were they seeing? Like, what do you think those kids were Ooh, seeing? Um, I was somebody were... who was very unselfconscious as a kid, and I was just very much um, very open and uh, very much like unconsciously. Uh, authentically myself. I was very artistic. I loved to dance. I loved to, you know, perform for my family and my friends. I was a gymnast. I loved to, you know, uh, jump on my trampoline in the backyard and do, uh, you know, and do do tumbles for all of my friends and, um, you know, wear clothes that I look back at now when I see photographs of myself as a kid and be like, oh, I was a flamboyant little boy, um, <laughs> but which is beautiful. Um, but, you know, like little like, you know, like crop tops and like short shorts and like it was like an 80s kid, right? It was an 80s kid and it was all just kind of what was uh, all the rage back then. Um, but I think they just saw somebody who was very, very, very different than the rest of them. Very different than everybody else. So, um, you know, I mean, it's kind of human nature in many ways uh, when we see something that is other that is different than us or what we know of the, of the status quo, um, we tend to hyper-focus on it and at times attack it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, of course. I, I've, I've said this on uh, the show before, but um, I think that is a little different for uh, kids who grew up as girls and kids who grew up as boys mm-hmm. because my my being patrolled like didn't, didn't work like that. Mm. Where I think... Uh, you know, masculinity, for lack of a word that is better, that means something yeah. more full, yeah. um, is so is valued. so valued, but yeah. also so narrow. Mm-hmm. And I definitely was perceived as different by kids around me, but mm-hmm. it was like for things that were never they were ne- they never had the unifying word. Like I literally do, I do a joke about how like when I was a kid, kids would call me fat mm-hmm. because I think that they didn't know. Like the word dyke. So they were just like, <laughs> so they were just like trying to figure out what, what is she? Yeah. What are we going to call her? <laughs> like, I have to like, think of something. What is the thing that yeah. is this, you know? Yeah. Um, that's so, that's so ridiculous. I love that. Yeah, that's, really, I mean, I, that's really ridiculous. Because I was like a, <clears throat> you know, I never had like that super twiggy kid <clears throat> phase, <clears throat> but I also wasn't, I was not substantially overweight right and so i really like what's I, it, that about and i only, what is that i about? only figured it out like a couple years ago where i went like oh my god like i looked at old pictures of myself mm. with like a weird mushroom haircut and like mm-hmm. you know everything else that was going on for me and I glasses had, and braces oh i had the weird mushroom haircut i didn't have the glasses and braces although i wanted de- glasses desperately as a child <laughs> they're less like majestic yeah then you that I have them in then, my imagination yeah, in right your, now. In real world, it's like they get lost in the ocean. Oh, got it. Like, it's like it's like a real problem. It's totally you not always convenient. constantly do you get hit by a basketball. I can imagine. Constantly are breaking. Oh my gosh, that's uh, really funny. As yeah. much as I was, um, you know, policed by the you know the my uh, my fellow classmates and people of my own age, is the things that made me stand out to them that they perceived perceived as negative were the things that um, made me stand out to my allies who lifted me up and carried me um, on my way, whether it was my, you know, my my sixth grade teacher, Miss Warren, or my my mother, or, you know, um, my dance teacher, or whoever, you know, my agents as I started getting older and started modeling, like, I, you know, it was those things that I learned to celebrate my otherness um, uh, uh, at, 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 a, at a relatively young age. I feel like it's not something that I really suffered with for for the majority of my of my of my youth. I mean, that's pretty rad. I will yeah. say I was also like, well liked. Mm. I mean, I wasn't. Mm-hmm. I wasn't like a. I was not ostracized, mm. and I. I mean, I look back at it. You know, I look back at that kid. Um, 
I also had crossed eyes when I was a little kid. <gasps> wow! Imagine. Wait, right? how did you? How do you? How do you not have crossed eyes uh, now? Then, are there exercises a, you do? Bunch of surgeries. Oh, seriously! And I wore an eye patch I for knew the eight eye years, patch trick. dude. So I mean, like mm. straight up, but. But Your eyes are beautiful. Oh, thank you so much. I'm sitting three feet away, <laughs> and I can from them see right out of them, yeah, which is a, a which is a miracle because wow. that was like on the table as not being. Uh, wow. That's why you have to. That's why you straighten it out. Because anyway, but my point is, um, like I wasn't as ostracized as I could have been. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I like I can't even imagine. Mm-hmm. Like that kid was kind of just relatively fine. Mm-hmm. I I was teased, and I think other people were teased. I just look at it and the specificity of. Of what it was that they were seeing in me and how much I didn't see it in myself. Like, I had, yeah. like, no concept of what... Like, I was very focused. Like, so you get you get this message of, like, this kid is fat. So yeah. then I was, like, super consumed with my body. I certainly and was. And very, um, like, you know, s- like, develop just the saddest mm. isolating eating disorders yeah, and like sense. all of those. Yeah. And mm-hmm. go through all those things where I was trying so hard to like mm-hmm. fix the thing that they were upset about. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even like the thing that you would imagine. You would imagine <laughs> right. that they would be like, this <laughs> kid has your... crossed eyes. Right. Right. And she is a huge dyke. Um, <laughs> yeah, I... <laughs> yeah. But it was like, whatever I could do to try and, affect you know be more girly for them mm-hmm. you know would mm-hmm. it like be mm-hmm. something see, that yeah, they wanted yeah totally see i um uh, my sexuality was never ever an issue for me it was always very much an issue for people around me um i i never um in i was certainly fed them but i never internalized the messages that i received that homosexuality was wrong or was a sin or was bad or was that you know that it was a choice or uh, that it was a phase or whatever um i never saw uh i never saw negativity how do it. you think you did that because i knew that i because i knew that i was right i knew that that <laughs> <laughs> that who I was was this young creature who was full of love, who, um, you know, who just so happened to be attracted to boys the way that my girlfriends were attracted to boys and the way that my guy friends were attracted to girls. It was always just so, you know, obviously natural to me that it was never something that I uh, worried about. It, it certainly didn't feel good when people would, um, you know, uh, 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 throw throw it at me in a way that was meant to be harmful and was meant to be painful. Painful. Um, I certainly, you know, I, I, I took those blows, but at the same time, it was never something that I um, that I tried to dilute in myself. Not until I started acting. Um, for a few years, uh, my first character was a gay character uh, when I was 21 years old, and uh, a few characters after that were gay. I did Noah's Ark, and I played a gay character. I did the L word, and I, and I played a gay character. I did like this, like the ti- don't go looking for. It. I did the tiniest little role <laughs> on L word. Actually, just got a residual track for it oh, yesterday, yes. yesterday. But I also watched Noah's Ark. You did? Yeah, that was a great show. Oh yeah, I liked it. <laughs> um, Actually, I can't even say that. I didn't. I had, had no idea. I'd never seen Noah's Ark or the L Word when I when I guest starred on either of them. But uh, it was like season four of L Word, um, a scene I had with Leisha Haley, and it was um, I to- totally forgotten about it until I just got the residual check <laughs> yesterday. But and they're and, and they're bringing it back. But um, yeah. So I, I played gar- gay characters for the first uh, my first couple of jobs, and um, uh, as time went on, and my agency would send me out for more and more jobs. There were just there was an abundance of straight characters that I was being sent out for, and in order to book these straight characters I had to you know be them essentially and walk in the room and be them before I even started reciting the lines because I could sense very early on that when I walked in as me when I just walked in as Jeffrey um, I would uh, uh, I would put off the casting directors or the producers or whoever it was that was in the room that was that was reading for me um, uh, and I don't think that when I started you know like stepped into character that they um, they didn't buy it even if it was a f- really fucking good job they just didn't buy it you know it was also 10 years ago so there was much less representation they had much less experience there was many much less you know uh, uh, gay characters being written um there was much less reference all around um so I, I bought into it for a few years and um, and read for all the straight characters and booked a couple here and there and was never happy doing it. I was just never happy constantly policing myself, being on set where I felt like I, I couldn't step back into myself when the director yelled cut without making people around me uncomfortable or nervous or the studio or network, like thinking like, you know, can he play this character? Is the audience going to buy it? Like it just, um, it was exhausting. So um, I realized I could feel that when I played gay characters, I didn't have that anxiety. I didn't have that bullshit 
bullshit and those worries, you know, uh, drowning me whenever I stepped onto set. Um, it just felt good. It, it didn't just feel better. It felt really fucking good. So it was a very conscious effort um, when I was about 25 years old, four years into acting to um, primarily play uh, queer characters. And it's something that I have the blessing to be able to do. I mean, yes, there's. Yeah, thank God you exist in this moment. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, you like do. This, yeah, absolutely. I, well, I had the foresight to, though. You know, like I knew that this moment was coming. Oh, Ten years God. ago, when I first started, well, my it, agency would tell me it does sound like you had the foresight. To. Yeah. No, you. No, it does. I mean, I. I almost want to. So, like, you must have had. Did you have a great mom? I mean, you were said yeah, earlier. It just feels like mama. you're you're talking about. Um, not internalizing what other people's opinion of mm-hmm. you is mm-hmm. and and your like <clears throat> personhood and then also mm-hmm. you're talking about like going out in the world and feeling great about that at mm-hmm. a very early age that's that all you know just reeks of uh good parenting <laughs> good parenting well right like i mean yeah. what is good parenting besides instilling trust the yeah. trust in self yeah like that's really what you're trying to do is to get your kid to make good decisions based on what they actually want. Yes. Um, I love my mother. She's one of my best friends and one of the most phenomenal women that, women that I know. She certainly instilled me with really strong values, a very strong moral compass. Um, uh, 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 I admire so many of her, the qualities of her character. Um, she taught me a lot in uh, about the real world, about how to, you know, keep a house and finances and, um, you know, taking care of your body and, um, you know, all of those things. But when it came to self-worth and when it came to um, any experience that I had in, you know, uh, in the entertainment industry, really. And I started really young. I started when I was like 15, like I said. Um, it was, I really had to figure it out on my own. And I really just had to guide myself. And like I like I said uh, about choosing roles um, that I felt represented me, um, I just really actively and consciously went towards what felt good. I, I just am... My mother would always say to I'm me, trying... go with the flow. Go oh. with the flow. That was some of the best advice she ever said to me. Go with the flow. Sure. So that's what, I, that's what I'm saying when I said, I just, I, I still to this day go towards what feels good. And that means going with the flow of life, not resisting, not going against the grain, not, you know, beating my head up against a wall, trying to, um, you know, uh, do the same thing but over and over just... again, expecting different results. I kind of, if I felt like something wasn't working one way, I would try a different door and then a different avenue and figure out a way for it to work for me. And that's something that she did teach me. I mean, is that just emotional intelligence? Because it feels like what you're talking about is um, like, I don't really know how one, because I would love to like bottle what you're saying. (laughs) Well, you got it here. I wish that- You have the rights to it. This is your podcast. (laughs) No, but I wish that we could give it to, you know what I mean? Like like people can listen to this, but how do you access that? By listening to, by listening to this stuff, by flooding your self-consciousness with this kind of, with this kind of talk. I mean, that's what I had to do. I just really surrounded myself with good energy and good people and positive affirmations and great books and um, what kind of stuff. Uh, I mean, meditation is something that's a practice that's incredibly powerful and very um, important to me and something that I utilize and practice on a daily basis. Um, You know, I listen to uh, Hay House Radio, Hay House Meditations, Louise Hay, all of her affirmations and meditations I listen to. I read Eckhart Tolle. I read Maya Angelou. I read Martin Luther King Jr.'s, you know, speeches and and essays. I, you know, uh, you study Gandhi and Buddha and you just study the people who I've never, Oprah, Oprah's been a huge influence in my life. I've never really been attracted or drawn to celebrity, to uh, you know, actors and models and rock stars and movie stars. It's never really been something as much as I knew that I was going to be working in the entertainment industry. It's not I don't really have a tendency to put people on pedestals and to see them as other or better than me or the general mass public. Um, uh, I've always been drawn to inspirational and charismatic world leaders and um, spiritual teachers. And um, that's that's the that's the literature and the, um, you know, the. Uh, the energy that I've been drawn to in my whole life. Do you a particular faith background? I didn't. I was not raised with any uh, uh, spiritual practice or um, religious following, but uh, as an adult, I practice uh, Buddhism, Nichiren Buddhism. It's something that I, dis- I discovered when I first moved to, York- to New York when I was 25 years old. And it's, um, it's for me, um, a-, a practice that I feel fills me up. And... Um, 
um, adds to my wholeness and is very nourishing. And um, I can't speak for anybody or everybody else, but certainly my whole life I felt like I was growing up with um, like a, a spirit-shaped void in me, in my soul, in my, in my, in my chest. Um, and uh, it couldn't ever be filled by excess or material things or, um, you know, drugs or cigarettes or alcohol or food. Or uh, for me, it's been filled by, by, by a spiritual practice, by, by, by practicing Buddhism, by practicing Chiran Buddhism. I mean... And meditation do, and yoga. Do you and like, have it figured out? Yes. It no, like no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm still, I'm, any day now, is, any day now, I'll great. figure it out. So I want to talk about, um, so there are so many, you know, I, tr- I travel so much to do my job. Yeah. And Lucky I, you. yeah, it's cool. Mm-hmm. It's also exhausting. Good yes. fucking Christ. Absol- do I not want to stay in that many hotel rooms? Absolutely. You get it. Oh my gosh. I just had a discussion <laughs> with a friend about this the other day. It's like as glamorous and fucking cool as it is. People don't realize the the, the work that goes into it and the schlep and the grind. There's so it's much schlep. There's so much schlep. It is a job. Yes. Yeah. Um, but what I do know is that for LGBTQ folks across the board, workplaces and industry, like any like anywhere that you go, mm-hmm. it is challenging to be who we are. Still today. Like there yeah. is not a time that I go to a show yeah. that somebody doesn't like, you know, wait in line to tell me how far they drove and what's mm-hmm. going on in their per- current situation mm-hmm. and, you know, the career that they're involved in. And you're somebody who figured out how to be out and use that to your benefit. Mm -hmm. And I mean, right, you could use that. I want to talk more about how that specifically relates to the entertainment industry. But I also think just to start, Mm -hmm. like what, when you were first entering the industry, Mm -hmm. like who knew what, who you were, who knew your that I, that I was gay. Sexuality, yeah. Was it like everybody. friends? Oh, everybody. I mean, everybody, I, I, agents? Like at 15 years old? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I couldn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't ever hide myself. I didn't ever, I was never in the closet. Yeah. Um, I certainly didn't proclaim it to the world until I got to around that age, like 14, 15 years old. And I was, you know, I told my friends and my sisters and my mom and all that stuff. I guess I didn't tell my mom until a few years later, like actually vocalize the words, I am gay. Um, but uh, yeah, every, How do you bring it up to coworkers? You don't. I, I, I was just. I was just a gay kid. I know that this sounds you know? like silly. Yeah. How, how, no, to how, say how it did like I? No, no, no. Yeah. How does one? How, 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 it doesn't sound. I mean, because here's what I do. I talk into a microphone. Yeah. Uh, in front of like 500 people, uh-huh. and then that's You're the dead giveaway I, for you. How I come out at work. Really? Yeah. <laughs> you're so funny. But um, I, I feel like you know, you're somebody who like mm-hmm. you had coworkers that you're you're just using like, oh this is my boyfriend or you're just being yourself or like, how were you, how do you think people were picking up on it? Uh, or you're saying the phrase I'm gay. Like what was the yeah, thing yeah. that I mean, was it's, working it's, for It you? certainly shifted throughout the years. I wasn't in a space where I was, where I felt safe that I could say the words I am gay and, you know, explicitly discuss my sexuality. Um, when I was growing up in Alberta, Canada, it's just the consciousness there, at least at that time, was just very um, hyper-masculine, misogynist, homophobic, uh, entirely hypocritical. I mean, I can think of so many examples where, um, you know, these... Uh, very masculine macho dudes would be so, uh, you know, uh, violently and oppressively homophobic towards men, but so incredibly uh, uh, open and welcoming and loving of, of of lesbians, whether they were their fantasy or whether they, you know, uh, uh, were, you know, like their aunt. Uh, it was just something that was just very commonly accepted. By the way, you know, it's always nice to be somebody's fantasy. Totally. Absolutely. <laughs> like just to, no, it's not. It's yeah. not. I do not want to <laughs> be a lot in of those pressure. Canadian men's fantasy. <laughs> No, you don't. No, <laughs> you, so no, horrifying. Do yourself a favor. Horrifying image. Yeah. Um, um, uh, so at that time, I just I just had to be myself, and um, I just you know I was it was I did a lot of code switching. I was just very aware of when I was in spaces where I was able to be open and be authentically myself, and other times I didn't, and I would and I would um, you know uh, police myself a little bit. But as time has gone on, I mean, now at 32 years old, um, I think people most most people know that I'm gay. I can't remember the last to be totally honest. 
honest with you, Cameron. I can't remember the last time that I had to like say to somebody, I'm gay. Um, I don't know the last time I did either. No, yeah. I'm just, I just am. I just am gay. I yeah. just am, you know, I'm queer. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm all sorts of things, but I don't really feel like the need to, um, to, uh, pro- proclaim it on a daily basis. You know, people, people know I'm an openly gay actor. Um, uh, I have a beautiful male partner. Um, we're open on social media. We, you know, I discuss it endlessly in interviews. My, uh, you know, my desire to primarily play queer characters, which some people view as activism, which I think is really cool. I get these amazing opportunities to go and speak for different organizations. And, um, you know, now I'm doing a podcast myself as well, which right. is, um, you know, I think just filling, fulfilling the intention that I had from a very young age of working in this entertainment industry, which was to fill an ever-present void that was that existed for far too long with queer voices, with intersectionality, with otherness. Um, so having a hand in that is is like is a really fucking cool thing that I'm able to do and a dream come true. I also think you kind of did give like a checklist to answer the question of like, you know, for people that are in a different mm. um, industry, mm-hmm. you know, you're talking about like, being open on social media, yeah. bringing a partner around, mm-hmm. um, talking about your life. Mm-hmm. I feel like... like unapo- unapologetically so. You know, right, like right, right. You know, of course. Yeah, always. Yeah. And, <clears throat> but I mean, like, I think uh, it still exists today, this idea of, like, how would I be out and be the person that I am yeah. and do a job? And you're somebody who works in an industry where, like, you're personal brand like matters more than say like an accountant you know like you're not like (laughs) buying but so so for you to say that you can do this with these things like with just kind of like putting it into the ether yeah i think should give a lot of people a lot of hope I, I mean, I, you know. I hope so. Just be, be, just be you. As cliche and as uh, you know, basic as it sounds, just be. Go to what, go towards what feels good. Live authentically. Be you, and don't apologize for who you are. Um, I, you know, I was just even thinking about it, even ex- an experience I had today, where I guess in some ways I do come out on a daily basis. Like I had an audition today where the character was written uh, for what I would assume uh, was a a heterosexual man, but there was never any uh, specific um, referral to his sexuality, to his partner or anything. So I was meeting with a casting director I've never met before. I went in and did it as me. I went, not as Jeffrey, but you know, as a, as a, as a queer man, as a, as a gay man, I didn't, I didn't try to try to uh, uh, man him up to masculine him up in, in any way, shape or form. Um, And by, me doing that that's me that's me coming out that's me coming out to this casting director i've never met before you know and i didn't receive direction to do it again and do it straight (laughs) i just you know if anything i'm like um uh offering options um you may not think to to cast a queer man in this role but why the fuck not why not and even if there is referral to his partner being a woman he can be queer let him live. He can be bisexual. Even if, you know, you're the best one for the role and it was written as a straight man, write him as a gay man. That's what happened with me in Unreal. I shot an original pilot for Unreal in 2013 and then, and Jay, my character on Unreal, was straight. Uh, I spent so much time with the producers and the creators and the writers behind, and the director behind the scenes uh, while we were shooting the pilot in Atlanta and I was just me, you know, and they they vibed with me. And then when the show got picked up, luckily, they did some recasting and rewriting. So it it, it uh, provided the opportunity for them to come to me and say, hey, uh, we love you. We, we want to write Jay after you. We want to we want to write him as an openly gay male. So just do you and the world will adjust. Yes. And that has been my experience as well. I mean, yeah. I've I've. I can't believe I kind of still can't believe it because I really thought I mean, I started in live performance, not mm. like, you know, I wasn't I didn't have agents and people like I, I just um, got here and I thought I think I just thought Hollywood was selling one thing. Mm. What did I you forgot, think it was selling? Uh, like symmetrical hair. Got it. Let's start with symmetrical got hair. It, got it. Got it. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, get out of here with that yeah. symmetrical hair. Like cut. symmetrical blonde hair, you yeah. know, and like, um, you know, skirts the or whatever. The status quo. It was, sell, it was sk- selling, it was selling, it was selling the status quo. Fray- yeah, I never yeah. even heard this. I can't, it sounds so weird coming skirts. out of my mouth. Yeah. Skirts. Yeah. Um, but I got here and have just been consistently surprised that like, you know, you think about the person who stars in the, in the, movie, TV show, or whatever, 
we're still working on representation there and representation oh, everywhere. Every but day. But also the like tertiary characters, uh-huh. the side uh-huh. people that it didn't, it's not, it doesn't have to be like the gay best friend no, either. No. It like, can actually like just be like, yes, yeah, you office know, like, worker the, who has this haircut. Totally. Right. Well, yeah. An asymmetrical haircut. They're transgender. They're biracial. They're queer. Why and the fuck not? The fact that that's happening is really cool. And I, and it is I have, very cool. It's, yeah. it's, you know, it's a shame that it's taken this long. But it's, you know, we are here and I'm grateful for that. You know, it is I feel, a fucking I feel, shame. I feel, you know, it is, is a shame that we've taken that it's taken this long because we've all seen it. You know, the you know, the our, the the others of the world, the the queer people of the world have seen it. We have stories to tell. We, you know, are uh you know, we have something valid to offer. We have buying power, we have um, you know, a, a, a huge population in this world. You can't keep giving us the excuse that there's just, you know, um, you know casting directors bringing people in and saying, well, I just didn't think, you know, I hired a, a straight cis guy to play this role of this transgender girl because there aren't any trans actors out there. Uh, dig a little deeper, open right. your eyes, ask some questions, you know, uh, go out there, put yourself out there, open your eyes and try to expand your consciousness a little bit because we're everywhere. Well, and I also, uh, you know, the that it is so important that you're playing queer characters yeah. or that I'm playing queer characters Absolutely. because... You know, the other thing is I've had the not that much, but I've had occasional I've had a couple times when I was playing a character that like this wasn't the best uh, zenith of all queer representation. Like this was definitely written by a straight person. But because I'm playing this character, um, I could say something in a certain way Mm -hmm. um, or like I literally have asked for rewrites, you know, mm-hmm. and I've asked for mm-hmm. adjustments. Good for you. Good yeah, for you. Yeah, fucking good for me. That's right. Yeah. Um, no, seriously. Good for <laughs> no, you. No, thank you. Yeah. And so I know that the that what is being put out into the world is like at least accurate to me. I mean, yeah. obviously it's not accurate to everybody, oh, but absolutely. at least it's accurate to me totally. as opposed to the writer that is outside of the community, yeah. you know, it's something. or whoever it is. It's something. You're in the something. thing. You're, and, yeah, yeah. And it is a form of authentic representation. Absolutely. I feel like we cannot put the pressure on ourselves to try to be everybody's voice and try to represent every single person. I'm just one. I'm just one. I'm just one guy. You are just one person. You know, um, it's uh, I, of course, I, you know, have played the characters uh, that weren't necessarily the the uh, most authentic representation of, of, of queer culture. Culture or queer life or the queer community, but it represented somebody. It represented somebody in there. That's right. You know, so you know, so you know, so just remember that when you're when you're tweeting at me. Right. (laughs) It represented somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Do you get that? Do you get Do you get the community wanting more from you? Yes. I yeah, get that too. Ab- absolutely. Which is it's which is ins- good. It's incredible. It's inspiring. <laughs> it, it's 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 in many ways it's the fuel that keeps me going, knowing that there is an a- an appetite out there, an active audience that wants to absorb and digest uh, uh, what we have to offer. What a fucking blessing! Um, it's it's beautiful. So uh, you know, I think those messages should also be channeled towards the writers in, in, <laughs> in, in, in the entertainment industry it, and the producers and the studio yeah. heads and executives and you know like let like let your voices be heard and let the actors know for sure you know because people like you take it upon themselves to create their own content and that's sure you know it's it's nice to hear that but um you know these uh these messages also have to be served to um the upper echelons and um, the powers that be who may not always have um their blinders off in a way that they are open to um seeing different representations so you got to bring it to their attention i, I totally agree with you yeah. I, you know it's important to run it up the food chain yeah. but i also think that you know another thing that i i just struggle with is I want to, I am so engaged in our community Mm -hmm. and I really do feel that it is a family and Mm -hmm. it is like so fucking important to me. Um, And I feel that because we have like gone through this, such a rapid, like because things are changing so fast. Mm -hmm. For instance, on television, Mm -hmm. you know, roles that exist this year wouldn't have existed last year roles totally. that will exist next year wouldn't absolutely. have existed this year absolutely i think that sometimes well that's a good thought i like that yeah i hadn't thought of it like that before that's yeah cool. and yeah. i and i'm i'm excited for the engagement but i also like i find that it can get exhausting uh-huh. if somebody doesn't realize like hey man i just want you to know like i fucking 
I am with you. Like, uh-huh. I want things to get better a hundred percent. But like this change is all happening socially. Mm-hmm. And there are like major corporations behind the entertainment industry. Yes. So like what is happening socially mm-hmm. is not necessarily happening for like the board mm-hmm. of directors at Sony. Exactly. You know, like, exactly. like it's, there's a disconnect between who makes the decisions and what the culture actually wants. Totally. So when the, when the content is being offered out there, it is uh, in many ways, it's our responsibility to, to step up and to claim it and to buy it and to show our buying power and to buy, you know, 50 tickets to Black Panther and buy right, hundred exactly. tickets to, yeah. you know, or like, you know, like watch every episode of looking or, you know, queer as folk or L word or, you know, like really like, you know, a Rate and review your podcast with five stars. Rate and review my w- podcast with, with five, five stars. stars. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. it's necessary. It is not, because that is how those messages get to the the executives at Sony. Yes, yeah. and I think that like as a instead of say if there is a a line in a movie that fucking like bangs you really hard, you mm-hmm. cannot get into that. Remember that like the money that was diverted into that thing right. that allowed for that right. to exist. Like if we could just grow that money uh-huh. so that it's two things, yeah. then we have a greater chance of those things being better. Absolutely. Because it's not we're not the ones making the decision. And also like kind of nobody in this town is making mm-hmm. the decision. It's like mm-hmm. it's like four guys yeah, that, I know. that don't even I know. live here. I know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they exactly. like live in Japan. Chilling. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, it's like yeah, exactly. So, so I feel like it's important to um I don't know. It's not that I can't take it. It's just like I, sometimes I want to be like, "Yes, do what you're doing mm-hmm. with your friends." Mhm. Yeah. And demand more from the media yeah. and all of this stuff and yeah. you know, tell me create what you want. Create your own content too. Fucking create your, create own, your own content. Shit. Yeah, absolutely. Write thoughtful blog posts and, you know, um Or the better screenplay. Like go mm-hmm. see the movie so that you know what you don't want to make. Mm-hmm. Like that's fine too. Oh, huge. That's I mean, that's how I've gotten to where I am by knowing what I don't want and what I don't like. <laughs> right. You figure out what by effect you exactly. figure out what you do like. Yeah. yeah. So I think um well, we've solved it. We solved it. It's done. <laughs> Which is really job great. well done. I guess I could keep going too. I'm not even tired. This I know. Is great. I know. We solved yeah. it. Like I would say early. Yeah. Let's, con- let's conquer another this, planet. No, we've let's got all this other time left. <laughs> I I love what you're doing. I love what you're doing, oh, Cameron. Thank you. thank you. And I really think that. God, I mean, I hope that some people are like listening and immediately going and starting the meditation practice that you start because then they will clearly so, be balanced individuals. You are amazing. You're, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with, I'm, you know, I am kind of hippie to be like with like astrological makeup as well. And I'm a Libra and you I'm are a Libra. A Libra. I We're know Libras. You are. You're October 17th. Yes. I'm October 21st. Dude. I feel like it just has a lot to do with our, um, you know, with our, with our DNA makeup with like, you know, like Libras tend to be very balanced and we seek, oh, yeah. we seek balance and seeking balance. Balance uh, means in many ways like seeking self-care, uh, making sure that you're taking care of yourself physically and spiritually and emotionally. And um, I need I need that. I that is how um, uh, that is how not only I thrive, but survive. So it's like ta- I take active measures every single day to get myself back to a place of balance. I mean, 100 percent. Me too. Yeah, yeah. Also, which is like counter to anything you've ever heard about a comedian, which is really yeah. hilarious because it's always like, how many drugs are you doing after totally. the show? I'm like, friend, totally. I am going the fuck home. Why is it? I'm gonna sound. So, I'm gonna say something that that, many, no, that some may not agree with. Let's hear Why it. is it that my queer comedian friends tend to be like the happiest people in the world? My straight can- comedian friends like need to need to figure it out. Still, I feel oh, like, I mean, I I love that, that question. I mean, well, because we're in it for different reasons, right? Uh, interesting. So, like, you develop a really great sense of humor mm-hmm. if you have been put in a position where you had to use that. As a coping mechanism, because humor is a coping mechanism. Yes. So, like, it's an overdeveloped coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. So, like, you're very personable. You have, like, this great energy to you. There's some part of you that's, like, bringing people in, mm-hmm. right? So, whatever that is that, mm-hmm. that comedians that you have, have to, that you got to. Yeah. Yeah. It's about, like, humor for us. Mm-hmm. And I feel like for queer people, a lot of it is, like, literally deflecting harm. Right. Like, you cannot be mad at me totally. if you are laughing at me. Totally. And I think that for a straight person, um, that has existed in some other way, mm-hmm. but it maybe hasn't been the culture 
crushing them. You know, like it it maybe has wow. been their family crushing them yeah. or it's been, you know, a relationship with their I body, whatever it is. I straight up was not expecting a thoughtful response to that question. And I'm so glad that um, you just served me one. Don't Thank you, you for believe that. Thank you for educating that I me. Thank absolutely you for educating me. So good. Those, all of the comedy answers in the world. Let's see why you got yeah. your own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, before, this has been such an amazing conversation. Yeah, it's been um, fun. Please, before you go, will you mm-hmm. share with me um, a queero? So, like somebody mm-hmm. that has, or a thing, or a place um, that made you feel safe, so that you could grow mm-hmm. into the person that you are. The first person who comes to mind, and certainly the strongest, is RuPaul. RuPaul Andre Charles. Um, he's one of the most phenomenal men that I've ever known. Um, I feel tremendously blessed to um, have been invited into his world and his and his and his life and to be uh, around his energy. Um, he uh, represents to me what I spoke to earlier, um, which is somebody who I see as like a charismatic spiritual world leader. Um, somebody who is Ugh, I just eye rolled yeah. but with joy yeah, like I just and I had to vocalize yeah. it because yeah, yeah, yeah. you are the only one that saw it totally no I got so it I, I got, I, I got the intent behind the eye say, roll don't worry Ugh. say amen say <laughs> yes. amen to that um, his um, intention with which he consciously navigates his way through this world is filled with love and light and a message of self-love and self-acceptance and um He's created not only an empire and a legacy, but a community and a family and is shifting um, our, our, our cultural conversation and the narrative um, in, uh, you know, just the general world of television and film. Um, he's bringing families together with the series RuPaul's Drag Race. He is, um, uh, you know, uh, shedding such insane wisdom and gems of uh, of knowledge and um and spirituality on on his podcast RuPaul what's the tea with Michelle Visage um you get to see experience a completely different side of 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 him um but uh i guess yeah what i mean what i what i what i RuPaul Andre Charles is my queero and um i i wouldn't be where i am right now with without him or who i am right now without him and i can say that um uh, even before knowing him, I could say that just from his influence and the energy with which he, um, you know, so generously offers to the world, and the fact that um, that I do have the pleasure of of knowing him um, just serves as daily inspiration for me to, to be the best version of my of myself um, because that's what he represents to me. Yeah, I am struck um, by your description. You know, again, I think a lot of what you're talking about is is parenting and you know rupaul really is Is our mother is all of our mothers a den mother like Mm -hmm. really a den mother a mother earth Mm -hmm. um and i think you know i there was this moment in the most recent uh season of drag race where uh nina why didn't you watch the show (laughs) i love that i'm obsessed with it where nina bonina brown was was going to Nina Bonita Brown Boyer Chapman, you mean? Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Was well, this is exactly what I'm gonna say. Yeah. Was was going to be sent home. Mm-hmm. And the last thing that RuPaul said to her, um, like her last like long moniker was Nina family. Bonina uh Andre Child like Brown Andre oh, Child yes. like used yeah. Andre Charles yeah. in the like silly, elongating. Really, of the I name. missed that entirely. That's so fucking, fucking cool. Fucking watch the moment that. Oh, it, I will. In it, in it uh, you know, I was watching with my wife Ria, yeah. and we both like paused because we realized what had happened was like this sort of like, you know, like I name you as my family. Yeah. And it and it yeah. was, I mean, I no longer really watch Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. but that would be like I think the cool the mm-hmm. the closest like like it was and it mm-hmm. and it felt like. A one moment representation of what that person has done for the entire community, but yeah. also just like knowing that we need that. Mm-hmm. And also, and this isn't even like an age thing. I'm not trying to like <laughs> age Rue. Mm-hmm. I'm simply saying like you and I, I'm 35. We're I'm kind of the same yeah. age yeah. because of the AIDS crisis. There's an entire generation mm. above us that we don't get to know that we don't get to have as parents. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so like... Wow, I just got really teary, like immediately. Yeah, I you're know. T- yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, just thinking about... Um, so like, the, you know, right? the, all of the all of all of our last our lost queer heroes that were lost in the epidemic. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, so we have these. I mean, for me, somebody who falls in the same category is Dan Savage, who yeah. like I read his column when I was when I didn't know like the name for myself, mm-hmm. like I didn't know any identifiers, mm-hmm. and I think that those parental relationships are ir- irreplaceable. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. Endlessly blessed. I know. Forever grateful. I know. Yeah. Uh, okay, now I'll end the podcast and come give <laughs> you I a hug. I wipe my tears away. And yeah, I'll exactly. come give you this a hug. Deep. This went deep, Cameron thank you so much for, Thank you so much for being Gosh, thank you so much show. for having um, me. What you, a blessing. I know that your podcast launches like in, in January. Yeah, we're launching it at the beginning of 2018 uh, to be paired up with the release of uh, the third season of Unreal. My podcast is called uh, JBC Presents Conversations with Others, and I would love to have you on. Oh, Jeffrey Boyer Chapman, I would love to be on. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, this is Cameron. Wonderful conversation. It was so fun. Yeah. Let's go find out who we are. Who we are. Well, listeners, that's our show. Please remember to rate and review us on iTunes. You can follow me on Twitter at Cameron Esposito. We are recorded by Matt Brousseau, produced by Sierra Catow and Feral Audio. Our theme song is by AW, and you can find them at listentoaw.com. Thanks for listening to Query. Feral Audio. Hey, this is Arnie Niekamp from the Improv Fantasy Podcast, Hello from the Magic Tavern. I fell through a dimensional portal behind a Burger King in Chicago into the magical land of Foon, and I started a podcast. Season three has just begun with a brand new adventure to defeat the Dark Lord. If you're a new listener or you've fallen behind, season three is a great jumping on point. And we've got great guests like Justin McElroy. I sound like a fancy college professor. Fake nuts. <laughs> Rachel Bloom. You all see my collection of men corpses and one woman. Felicia Day and Colton Dunn. You've seen me have intercourse with a variety of species. It's a bummer. Andy Daly. You have the members of Genesis listed, but Phil Collins has crossed out and then circled and crossed out again. Uh, Yes, I have killed Phil Collins twice. Thomas Middleditch. (laughs) Jesus. I mean, (laughs) Jazos. Ruler of the Eighth Circle. And that's just the beginning. Season three of Hello from the Magic Tavern is out now. Listen in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.